Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Well, before we get into the sermon portion, I do want to just report back to everybody that we had just a great golf tournament on Friday evening and Friday during the day. Yeah, round of applause. Um, about 120 golfers, about 50 people showed up after, a number of volunteers also. Um, it, was, it was just fun. It was just a really fun time. We were blessing Sarah's house as well, helping that ministry to, to continue thriving in, in its work. So just, you know, thank you again to Jason Leedy, Tom Romero, Ken Midge-Seeley, Laura Melanowski, all the volunteers who also came and helped and everyone who organized it, um, and all the golfers who showed up as well, and the people who aren't golfers like me who are terrible at golf who also came and played. Um, just a really good time. During our season right now, though, we're in a sermon series entitled uh, Stonebridge Deli, where we're looking at this literary device that the Gospel of Mark uses. It's called the Mark and Sandwich. And what Mark does is takes one story. This is the bread of the sandwich. Takes one story, cuts it in half, and then takes a second story and puts it in the middle. And you have a sandwich. So what this means is Mark will begin a story and then abruptly end that story. Most of the time on some sort of cliffhanger. And then shifts to a completely different, seemingly unrelated story and then Mark comes back to the original story and concludes it. And I think Mark does this for a couple of reasons. One is that by putting these two stories together, we learn a deeper point. There's something more for us to learn than if the stories were just on their own. Mark takes us a little bit deeper into a lesson or something we can learn. And then the second reason I think Mark does this is just simple memory. It's a mnemonic device. By associating two different stories, it helps us to remember things when we have association, when we have connections, makes things easier to remember. And I think Mark, uh, on this point, on many points, but on this one too, Mark knew what he was doing. Um, I remember back years ago when I was a youth pastor, um, I had high school kids and I, I spoke to these high school kids for four years, twice a week. And I did about a four week little series on the Mark and Sandwich thing just trying it out, just seeing. At the time, I didn't really think they heard anything because I didn't think they ever heard anything. But I remember years later, I was with some of them who had graduated college. And I said, out of all the things I said to you, is there anything you remember? And they paused for a little bit. And then all of them said, oh yeah, the whole Mark sandwich thing. For some reason, this stuck out to them. Um, and on the one hand, I was frustrated that was the only thing that stuck out to them. On the other hand, I was rejoicing because something stuck out to them, uh, which told me I'm an optimist. Um, but yeah, there's something about the way Mark does this. It, it sticks out. It, it's memorable. It, you remember these lessons a little more easily, I think. So we're going to be looking at another one of these Mark sandwiches. Um, this is Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. And each week I've been inviting somebody to come up and read with me. So I'm going to invite up Ryan Jocelyn, our director of youth ministries. Um, I'm sure the high school kids in his group will remember everything he says years from now. Yes, they do. <laughs> do you want to do it here? I do want to do it there. Yeah. So we'll be reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. I'll let you kick it off, Ryan. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread, 
The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. Thank you, Ryan. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here together. We thank you for speaking to us through your scriptures. And we ask that we would understand what it is Mark was trying to teach us by tying these two stories together. What it is that your Holy Spirit is trying to teach us by inspiring Mark to tie these two stories together. Help us to learn how we can best follow you. Lord, speak to us now for your servants are listening. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So for those of you who have been with us the last few weeks during this series, I think you understand the basic rhythm of how these sermons go. We take our first story, we take our second story, and then we put them together. And this week is no different. The first story is rather short, but it begins one of the important points in the story of the gospel. The first story is when the chief priests and the scribes decide that Jesus has to go, that it's time for Jesus to go. They want to take his life. So they begin conspiring, doing so in secret because they're worried that there might be a riot because a lot of people seem to like Jesus, but they need him gone. They're willing to pay to have him be gone. And we learn ultimately it's through Judas that they accomplish this. Judas is one of the disciples, one of the 12, part of Jesus's inner circle. He's been there with Jesus for years now. He's seen all the things that Jesus has done, but somewhere along the way, he's become disillusioned. And Judas has decided Jesus isn't worth it anymore. So Judas betrays him. And one thing that's kind of interesting to me is the way Mark says this is Judas actually agrees to betray Jesus. And then it's after that, that the chief priests and the scribes promise him money. It's almost like Judas isn't even that concerned about the money. He just decides Jesus has to go also. The way Mark sets this up, these are insiders. The chief priests and the scribes, they are authorities there in the religious institutions. They're running the Jewish community. They're important in there. And Judas himself is an insider in Jesus' inner circle. These are the people who should understand who Jesus is, understand Jesus' worth, understand what God is doing in Jesus, and yet they don't get it. 
This is a theme that runs throughout Mark where the insiders don't seem to understand. The people who should get it don't, and the people who shouldn't get it, the outsiders, do understand who Jesus is. So that leads us to our second story. In the second story, this woman comes in to this party at Simon the leper's house, and she breaks open this jar of expensive perfume. It would have been a pretty significant glass jar, and she would have had to break it open. And once you broke it open, you had to then use it. But she just pours it all out on Jesus. Make no mistake here, this is an extravagant gesture. She's making a statement here in front of everybody. So much so that people get angry with her. They start ridiculing her. You can almost imagine her there being mocked by everybody. The smell of the perfume would have been overwhelming. And everybody was there scolding her, mocking her, angry with her. They say that the perfume perfume could have been sold, the money given to the poor. There's some reasons to suspect that that's not actually what they're worried about. They're not really worried about the poor. This is more about just mocking her, about being right, about isolating her for this gesture. And in the midst of that, Jesus stands up for her. Jesus says, leave her alone, let her alone. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. What she's done for me is good. She prepared his body for burial. She is the outsider but she's the one Jesus lifts up. She's the one Jesus praises. So those are the two stories. What's Mark doing here with both of these stories, pulling them together? Well, I think what Mark is doing is giving us examples of people who are asking the question, what is Jesus worth? What is Jesus worth? That's the question that each of them is asked, and they all have slightly different answers. According to Judas, Jesus isn't really worth all that much anymore. What is Jesus worth to Judas? A little bit of money from the chief priests and scribes? That's about it. Judas had been following Jesus. He'd seen all the things Jesus did, but somewhere along the way, he became disillusioned. And somewhere along the way, he decided Jesus wasn't worth following any longer. And he'd rather take some money from the chief priests and the scribes and hand Jesus over to them. I think it's easy for us to vilify Judas because he's very clearly a villain. And in doing so though, I think we put ourselves at distance from him, assuming we can never be like him. And I don't think anyone here is betraying Jesus in the same way. But at the core of what Judas is doing is he's deciding something else is more valuable than Jesus. There is something else that is worth it more to Judas than Jesus is. It might be the money. It might be just Jesus being gone. It might be that he expected something else from Jesus. Jesus didn't do that, and his expectations are more valuable than Jesus is. But Judas is placing something as more valuable than Jesus. And in that, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, we do that regularly. The deal with following Jesus is you're going to have to give some stuff up. You're going to have to say goodbye to some things in your life. But far too often, we're not willing to give those things up. And rather than following Jesus and embracing him fully, we try to hold on to possessions, to reputation, to power. We don't value Jesus fully in those moments. 
And in that way, I think if we're honest, a lot of us have a similar basic problem to what Judas is experiencing. I don't think it manifests in the same way, as I said, but I think it's a problem with how we value Jesus, with our response to that question, what is Jesus worth? But then the second group that we see here is, what is Jesus worth to these authorities, to the chief priests, to the scribes? To them, Jesus actually is somewhat valuable in the sense that they're willing to give something up to get rid of Jesus. Jesus has influence. Jesus is gaining a following. Jesus is challenging their power. They want him gone. And there's actual value in that. They're willing to pay to have him be gone. I don't think any of us in this room identify with that. I think if you're here right now, you're at least curious about who Jesus is. You're not trying to rid the world of Jesus's influence. But we have to acknowledge there are people in the world where that is their agenda. There are people who spend their times, who build up industries trying to prove that there isn't a God, trying to prove that Jesus either didn't exist or he wasn't who he said he was. I think specifically of people who are part of what's been called the new atheist movement. Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, James Lindsay, these different voices that spent time, built up an industry trying to prove that there is no God. Again, I don't think anyone in this room qualifies there, but I think we do learn from this, that when somebody values Jesus in that way, in the sense that they want to get rid of Jesus, they realize he's influential, but they want to get rid of him and they're willing to spend time and money and effort. I think what we learn from Jesus is how to respond to that. Remember, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think when somebody has that type of an agenda, it's not worth it to try to fight against them. It's worth it to try to pray for them. And definitely don't follow them, okay? Take what they say with a grain of salt because it's coming from a fundamentally different place. Don't follow them, but also don't fight with them. Pray for them. Try to show them the worth that Jesus has. Display it to them how much Jesus is actually worth, how valuable Jesus is, that he's not worth getting rid of. That's, I think, how we respond when somebody values Jesus in that way. But in pairing these stories together, Mark is drawing a contrast. Those two are the ones who don't understand. Judas, the chief priest, the scribes, they don't understand what Jesus is worth. But what is Jesus worth to this woman? We don't learn her name in this story, though in the other Gospels, People have pieced together. Her name is probably Mary. But what is Jesus worth to her? She has a pretty clear statement here. Everything. She walks into this room with this expensive perfume. We're told about 300 denarii. That would have been maybe a, a year's worth of wages. If you were lucky and had a job, it was a year's worth of wages. She breaks it open and she pours it all out on Jesus' head. Jesus is worth everything. This is an extravagant gesture. She's showing everybody in that room. And the people in that room don't even seem to understand exactly what Jesus is worth because they start mocking her. They start ridiculing her. 
She's the one who understands what exactly Jesus is worth. She's the one who gets it. Mark lifts her up as a hero in this story, and Jesus lifts her up and enshrines her story at the center of the gospel. Jesus is worth everything to her. To her, whatever it is Jesus might ask of you, whatever it is Jesus might want from you, it's worth it. And I want to make one other thing clear here. When Jesus says the whole thing about, you know, the poor will always be with you, I won't always be with you, Jesus isn't saying don't go and give money to the poor. This is a one-time thing. This is for this moment that he says this. This is the same Lord, rabbi, teacher who says, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. But by lifting up this woman, by placing her in this story, by highlighting her, I think Mark is making clear that if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, there is a spirit of generosity that is necessary. This is part of the call. You have to be willing to give up the things God is going to ask you to give up. Sometimes you are going to sell those things and give to the poor. You're going to help raise money from the poor. And other times, God's going to ask you to give something up for the sake of the church, to make a gesture to help the world know how important Jesus is, how valuable Jesus is, to make sure that the news of hope and resurrection spreads. That type of generosity, that's what's needed to follow Jesus. And it does include giving financially to the church. That's a part of following Jesus. And what I want to say really, really clearly is, if you come here and you don't give to Stonebridge, well, that's okay. I don't want you to feel bad, but I want to encourage you to find a church that you do feel comfortable giving to. Because the point is your discipleship. The point is you following Jesus. The point is you being willing to give back to Jesus. The point is you following in the example of this woman who does this extravagant gesture to show to everybody at that party just what Jesus was worth. It's part of following Jesus. So if this isn't the church you feel comfortable giving to, that's okay, but find one that you do feel comfortable giving to. That generosity is necessary to follow our Lord. That's what Jesus is highlighting in that moment. And sometimes it'll be money, but other times it will be treasure. Or sorry, that is money. It will be talents and it will be time. That's why I think things like the golf tournament that we just did on Friday are are so beautiful. I mean, it's fun. It's a good time. It's for a good cause. But there's also something that's beautiful about it. People coming together, giving up their time, giving up their talents and all sorts of different talents. Not everyone who was there is good at golf. I'm garbage at golf. I was there. It was still fun to be there, to be together. People helped organize it. People helped do check-in. People helped play music. People did all sorts of things that we could have an event that would support an organization that is out there blessing women and children, helping them know how valuable they are in God's eyes and helping them know how valuable Jesus is for them also. That's the kind of things that we're called to when we want to follow Jesus. So I do want to extend another invitation while I have you here. June 24th, We're going to be going to Sarah's house. We're going to be giving of our talents and our time to also bless them, to continue that work so that this world can see how valuable Jesus is to us, that he's worth giving up our time and our talents. And also so that Sarah's house can continue its work, blessing women and children so they understand who Jesus is as well. June 24th, 
I don't have the times quite yet. At least I don't remember them off the top of my head. But block off that morning. Come and join us. And think to yourself, what is Jesus worth to you? What is it that Jesus might be calling you to give up for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of following him? What is it that you've been holding on to, that you might have been unwilling to let go of, that you've been valuing more than Jesus, but that it's time to let go of, that it's time to give up, that it's time to follow Jesus? What is Jesus worth to you? And how can you give in the spirit of this woman who broke that perfume open in front of everybody in that party, poured it out on Jesus' head, extravagantly making sure that everyone there knew just how valuable Jesus was to her? What is Jesus worth to you? Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this woman. We thank you for her example. We thank you that we get the privilege of giving back to you. Help us to be generous with what you've given us. Help us to give to the poor when you call us to. Help us to give to the church when you call us to. Help us to help those who don't have resources to be cared for. And help us to spread the news of hope and resurrection through the church, Lord. The way you decided to have this news be passed. to see it, the place where our hearts were one. You want to know it, the goodness of our gracious God.
You've done. 
you